All right, church. Hey, you're looking good. Take your Bible or take your phone app or any of that stuff. Turn to uh, Luke 2. All right. We're going to uh, see a theology of Linus from Charlie Brown here in just a few minutes. But uh, hey, in all seriousness, hey, let me say hello to the other campuses. Man, Merry Christmas uh, uh, to you guys. And thanks for what God is doing all over the 828. And uh, if you're online, thank you for joining us uh, as well. And so again, Merry Christmas uh, to all of you. If you are a uh, guest here, we'd love, I'd love to meet you after the service. I know it'll be kind of crazy in the lobbies, the CPs, the campus pastors. If you're at a, another location, they would love to uh, meet you. And if you're watching online, just comment. We'd know. We'd love to know how we can serve you. But hey, let's uh, let me do a little quiz. How many of uh, how many of you have uh, how many of you have finished your shopping? Put your put your hands up. Look at y'all. All right, all right. Okay. How many uh, how many bought how many bought some how many bought all their stuff online this year? Put your hands up. I just a little bit of it. Okay, this church now, so you got to be honest. How many of you re-gifted something for somebody else? Put your hands up. Look at y'all, cheapos. All right, let me, uh, let me ask this. How, how many of you uh, are going to uh, open up uh, presents on Christmas Eve? Put your hands up and be a heretic. All right, look at you heretics like that. All right, not opening your presents on Christmas. Christmas Day like Jesus did. I can't, I can't believe that. So, hey, here's where we're going to be. Um, cause um, Christmas is, Christmas is great. Y'all sound great. You look great. You got green and red and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, oftentimes what happens is Christmas gets more complicated the older you get, right? When I mean, you're younger, it's like magical. And then you get a little bit older, you get married, it gets a little bit more complicated, especially if you, you're trying to figure out, you know, where to go, whose parents to go to. If you got divorce in, in your family tree, that gets super complicated. And then, you know, kids, grandkids, it gets real complicated. So uh, let me real quick illustrate that for a second. So when you're a kid, when you're a kid, it's like, it's like super simple. So you look at this little picture and you, I know you thought I was a little angel and this just proves it. All right. I'm the guy with the car heart there on the right. That's the older brother on the left, uh, uh, being a football player right there. And then, um, believe it or not, this next guy is, um, there I am at, there I am with Santa and kind of leave that up there for a second. I didn't grow up in church. And so, um, I was, I don't know, you know how old I am right there, but I'd actually, at this point, I think I was asking Santa for a bike, but I was pretty sure I was on the naughty list. So I was like, man, Santa's not coming through for a bike at all. And so I'd kind of given up on Santa coming through. And again, even though we didn't go to church much, I was like, well, I'm going to try it out. I'm going to write a letter to Jesus. So I went home and I was like, this is the way my mom tells at least. She's like, I went home and it's like, dear Jesus, uh, I've been a good boy all year. And I'm like, oh, that's not true. So I scratched it out. And I was like, all right, dear Jesus, I've been a good boy all fall. It's like, nah, scratch that out. That's not true either. It's like, dear Jesus, I've been a, I've been a good boy all week. And it's like, ah, scratch that out. That's not going to work either. And I guess I had a flashback to like, you know, my dad watching The Godfather or something. Because then I, I, I remember we had a nativity scene above the fireplace. So I went and grabbed Mary off the little Mary statue off the nativity screen. It's like, in the two, but dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you got you know, you to gotta give me a bike. So... Whatever that is, I mean, it can be, it'd be kind of complicated, but it's really, it's like, I just got to get to sleep. So the presents are there. And then you get married and you get married and it gets a little more complicated, like I said, because you got to figure out where are we going to go, which, where are we going to spend? And some of you all are kind of newlyweds and especially some of you young men in here and you just got married and it's like your first Christmas. And I'll bet you there's a guy in here and you asked your wife, you said, what do you want for Christmas? And she said nothing and you believed her. And that was like such a bad mistake. And if it's, and it, you got about four hours to make things right, brother. I'm just telling you, or Christmas will not go well for you. She doesn't mean that. She doesn't mean nothing at all. That's just a little pro tip for you. Not that I've ever done that, but I got the scars to prove it. So just go get, go get a gift. It's not too late. All right. 
Um, but then you get a little bit, uh, you get a little bit more and it gets a little more complicated. Then you have kids. And if you look at this one picture here and you know, everybody looks happy, right? That's like the preacher picture. Some of y'all are like, I've never seen you in a tie before. There it is. That's the last time you're, that's the last time you're going to see it. All right. Unless I'm marrying you or burying you, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going to see the tie, but we all look happy there. Truth be known. 10 minutes before this picture was taken, it kind of looks like an old Olin Mills uh, church directory picture, but right before this picture, believe it or not, 10 minutes before this picture, it was chaos. I'm not talking about going at each other, arguing, the kids were crying, just go, I don't want to wear the red. I don't want, you know, it's all that stuff. And it's like, but there's our Instagram photos. So that looks, that looks awesome for that. And I say that to say, whether you got kids, grandkids, whether you're single, married, old, young, whatever, the older you get, the more complicated Christmas can be. And what we want to do is make sure that while all this stuff is going on, you got parties to go to, presents to get, people to see, food to cook, you got to make sure we understand and ground ourselves in the simplicity of the Christmas message. Because believe it or not, the simplicity of the Christmas message, what you're going to see is an announcement that was made not just in Luke 2, it was made way back at the very start of your Bible. Because if you remember at the very start of your Bible, God actually creates things and then he makes Adam. And the Bible says he breathed into Adam the breath of life, the ruah of life, and he, he became a living soul. And then you realize like, it's not good. It's not good that man is alone. He knows that man is like going to burn the house down if he doesn't have a helper. So he makes Eve. And then right there, they are vice regents. They are, they are the vice regents co-equal and they are there to be the image bearers of God. And they are in perfect relationship with each other and with God. The Bible actually talks about how they're face to face with God. No, nothing in between them and God, face-to-face, -face, intimacy, no baggage, no nothing. Then they doubt the goodness of God and they rebel against God and everything is fractured. Everything is fractured. From cancer to car wrecks, everything gets fractured. And then he kicks them out of the garden, but he makes them a promise. It is called the proto-euangelion. That means the first good news. And it's in Genesis chapter three when he says, listen, I will send to you a hero. I will send to you a rescuer. I will send to you a deliverer in the whole Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament. You're like, what's the message of the Old Testament? The Old Testament message is all about the announcement that a rescuer is going to come. And so whether it be the prophets, whether it be the tabernacle, whether it be the temple, whether it be the nation of Israel, the whole thing is, listen, a rescuer is coming. A hero is on the way. And then when you get to where we are, uh, right before the New Testament opens up, there's a guy named uh, Malachi or Malachi, and he gets out and he says, the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. And then God goes quiet for 400 years. And then somehow in heaven, God looks over at the angels and says, all right, it's time. I want you to go down there and I want you to make an announcement to those people. And I'm just kind of, this is not Bible, this is Bruce, but I'm thinking initially the angels are like, those people, those are the ones you want us to go give the most important announcement in all of human history to? He's like, those people. And so the story picks up in verse eight and it says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. 
Now, mainly because of Christmas plays, when we think of shepherds, we think of those cool, cuddly guys with a little lamb and that neat little shepherd's crook. But just so you know, if you played a shepherd in a Christmas play, you got the worst part. You really did, because they were like outcasts from society. They were looked at as weird. They were looked at as robbers and thieves. They, got, they couldn't even give testimony in court because everybody thought... These guys are crooked. They couldn't go to the tabernacle or they couldn't go to the temple and participate in religious services. So what happened is they thought they were unclean. And it's those people that God chose to make the Christmas announcement to. And the reason that that is awesome that God chose that group and not Herod or not the king or not anybody else, it's those people. It's because those people did not have their stuff together. They were messy, they were dysfunctional. And if the truth be known, as we sit in church on Christmas Eve, even though everybody comes in here and it's like, hey, it's looking good and I look awesome in the Christmas sweater, guess what? Bottom line, you peel back the enough layers of our life and everybody in here is messy. Everybody in here has some dysfunction in their lives. And the good news about Christmas is that is who the Christmas hope and the announcement is to. And by the way, maybe you're here and you know, you are already patently aware you got a bunch of mess in your life. Nobody has to come up and tell you. You know it. For some of you, it's just the fact that this has been the hardest season of your life. I met a man after one of the services earlier and they said that he was talking about, this is the first Christmas without my wife. I think he said for 59 years. So like, it's a difficult time for him, but Christmas is for him and that's great news. Maybe you're here and it looks good on the outside. I mean, you look great. You look great, your family looks great, the kids look great, nobody's gone to jail, everything looks awesome, but you know deep down when you put your head on your pillow, it's like, is this, what the, is this all there is? Because there's something at the soul level that tells you something is busted up and broken and needs to be fixed. And there's a reason for that, by the way. It's because God made you, God made you for him and God made, you were made by him. And until you figure that out at the soul level, none of this other stuff is ever going to make sense. None of this other stuff is going to fully and finally satisfy you. The old philosopher Blaise Pascal said, he said, listen, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every single heart, and it's not going to be filled by anything or anybody but God. And so when you look at this, it's good news there. It's good news, by the way. Maybe you're here and you got some pretty big sin in your life. And you're like, man, I wish, I hope you don't know what's in my history. I hope you don't know what's in my past. And loved one, what you just got to know is one of the coolest things about the gospel message, about Christmas gospel, is that you are fully known and fully loved. When you think about people that know you but don't love you, that's, that's rejection. You talk about people who love you but they don't know all your junk, that's just like one of those cheesy Hallmark movies. But when you are known perfectly and intimately and you are still loved, that is the gospel. That's the God that made you and loves you when he comes to these shepherds and uh, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is an Old Testament verse that says, God's arm is not too short to save. Or in other words, listen, there's nobody that's ever been too far from God for God to reach. I've said it to our people. A lot of times people that you think, oh, that guy's too far from God. That guy's too far. He's done too much. He's been gone too long. Guess what? Some people thought that same thing about you. I can promise you some people thought that about me. I thank God there was not Facebook or Instagram back when I was in high school, right? I mean, I thank God for that. Otherwise, it'd be somebody somebody else up here preaching. So when you look at it, verse 10 says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now listen, here's probably the key point of this whole passage. This is good news. It's news. It's not advice. 
Okay, news, new, advice is you need to go do something. News is something has been done. Advice is, hey, you need to go make something go on. News is something has gone on and you need to respond to that news. As a matter of fact, advice is behave. The gospel is not about behaving, it is about beholding and then believing. And so when you look at this, what he says is, I bring you good news of great joy. And when you look at behaving, a lot of times people are like, oh, there's about 15, 20 world religions. And one of the things you need to kind of be crystal clear about is there's not 15, there's not even five world religions, there's two world religions, there's two. Every world religion is either something you have to do to get off the naughty list and get on the nice list or it is something that has been done. You think, about getting, you think about doing something, whether it be praying five times a day, whether it be going to Mecca, whether it be doing something with your chakra, whether it be obeying the moral law, whatever it is, that's the do stuff. That's you got to do certain things. But the gospel is not do. The gospel is the gospel is done. Because religion, by the way, says you got to save yourself. You got to do something to be a better version of you. And let me take a parenthesis here. This is what some of you are like, why is that guy so self-righteous, because if all you have is religion, it's gonna lead to one of two areas. It's either gonna lead to pride if you're doing good, or it's gonna lead to despair if you're doing bad. If you have just religion, what it's gonna lead to if you're doing good and you're obeying the list and you're doing all the rules and you're checking those things off, you're like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm earning some stuff, God owes me. And so it's super easy to look down your nose. That's why sometimes some of the most Smug, self-righteous people are religious people. In the same way, if you're doing bad, that leads to despair. I can't believe I failed it again. I failed again. God hates me and God hates you. If you think God hates you long enough, pretty soon it's not hard for you to then hate God. And so when you look at here, you gotta be clear, this is not advice. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. This is awesome. I bring, there's something he's trying to get us to understand to say there's something that is deep down at the soul level that will bring you joy, not just happiness. And again, there's nothing wrong. I know some preachers are like, I didn't want you to be happy. Man, happy is better than sad, right? Happy is better than unhappy, all right? Nobody's gonna like, I vote for unhappy. No, every, happy is better than sad. Just realize happiness is fragile. We know that happiness is based on what? Happenings. If the happenings are good, then I'm happy, and that's not what he's saying here. Which also is a reason, it's a good reminder for us that that's why stuff like success and stuff and status, while good and while useful, they do not fully and finally satisfy us because that's not what we were made for. So that drive in you that's like, I want the approval of people, understand, when you understand the gospel, and that Jesus, if you're in Jesus, he approves of you because he approves of Jesus. When you just understand that, I mean, what more? There's no pat on the back or gold watch that'll ever even come close to that. And so uh, joy, joy, joy's at the soul level. Joy's when you understand my guilt has been taken away. Joy's at the soul level that says I am now a son or daughter by adoption of almighty God. Joy is when you understand I am here for a purpose bigger than just my job or bigger than just my house or bigger than just my boat. I'm here for something eternal. That's what I'm here for. That's so much better than just I got to get the next raise. I got to get the next degree. I got to get the next diploma. All that stuff is good. But when we look at it, he says, and here's the, cold, here's the crux of the verse. 
For unto you this day is born in the city of David. The city of David is uh, Bethlehem. And I know today because of all the Christmas story, we think of Bethlehem as like everybody knew where Bethlehem, nobody, Bethlehem was like a way out of the way place. I don't even know what to, like Marion or Rosman or somewhere. You're like, I don't even think of those cities. People don't think of those cities. But 500 years before Jesus was born, there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Micah that said, the rescuer, you know where he's going to come from? A little out of the way podunk place called Bethlehem. But he says, who is Christ? He is Christ the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to hone in on one word before we go to the candles, all right? About 10 minutes, we're going to be in the candles. It's going to be this amazing deal. You're going to look around. Everybody's got their lights up, and it's like pictures everywhere. It's going to be great. But before we get there, you got to understand one word, and that is the word Savior. Now, this is a smart class. So if you have a Savior, then we know that we need what? Saving. Because here's what he doesn't say. For unto you this day in the city of David is born for you a life coach because you are a mistaker and you need a life coach to come along and tell you not to make mistakes. That's not what he says. He doesn't say today is a day that is born unto you a therapist because you need a therapist. You got a bunch of issues. Now God's a great counselor, but that's not what he's saying. The clearest reason, even here at Christmas, you have to understand is the reason that little baby is in the manger, the reason that Emmanuel, God, became a man and dwelt among us, the reason that they happened is so that he could grow up, live the perfect life that you and I were called to live, and then die in our place as a substitute on a tree 33 some odd years later. Because you got to understand, it's not very many miles from this little baby in swaddling clothes flip some pages on a calendar, go down the road a few miles, and that same little baby that grew up and did all those awesome teachings and all that stuff, bottom line is, he is dying for the sin debt of the world. So when you look at this, um, I know that's sort of like, wow, um, that's kind of offensive on Christmas Eve. It's actually offensive every day of the week. You know why? Uh, think about it this way. A few weeks ago, I told you we posted a little deal that kind of went crazy on social media. We did a deal on that country song, Wait in the Truck. Hope you've downloaded it. It's actually some decent theology in there. <laughs> but one of the, one of the, it's, it, the whole thing was about the justice of God, that you don't have to take justice because God is a just God and nobody gets away with anything, okay? We either pay for it or Jesus pays for it on the cross. So bottom line is we did this, but one of the, the comments were fascinating. Comments were fascinating. They were fascinating a bunch of different levels. They were fascinating because the song deals with a dark subject, domestic violence. They're fascinating because of people saying, I'm going to go back to church. But they're also fascinating because people are like, what, what would God have to do to judge me? Why would God judge me? I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Now, I'm not going to get on there and try to debate back and forth. But I'm a good guy is a pretty common thing for people to say when they hear things like, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. Well, you have to ask yourself the question compared to who? Who? Your college roommate? I mean, the nightly news? Yeah, we are. And so one of the things we do as a church, and I usually do this like twice a year, I kind of give two examples. I go, first of all, when we're talking about I'm a good guy, we got to look at it either through God's laws or even our laws. So let me just take God's laws. God's laws are like, there's 613 of them. But if you like push them all together, there's like 10 big ones that most everybody knows. And by the way, if you look at those 10 commandments, the first four are about your vertical relationship with God. And the next six are about your horizontal relationship with other people, which by the way, is a good reminder that the vertical relationship changes the horizontal relationships. 
But the first thing he says is, and we won't go through all 10, we've done that before, and we'll do it again. But bottom line is we, we're batting zero on those commandments. You're like, I don't believe you. Okay. Um, let me just take the bookends. First one is, starts off like this. You will have no other gods before me. So just a question. Has there ever been a time, past, present, or future, has there ever been a time when you had something in your life that you were more passionate about, enthusiastic about, prioritizing ahead of the God that made you? Yeah, probably so. I mean, half the time we get more excited, as I said, we get more excited about the Panthers and they're terrible than we do sometime about, about God Almighty. Or you can go to all the way to the back end and it says, do not covet. Now, is there anybody here that actually would say, there's never been a time when I haven't looked at something and said, man, if I could just have that. If you, has there ever been a time when you're like, you go into a Bass Pro Shop and you're like, man, I need nothing in here. There's nothing in here at all that would fully and finally satisfy me. Never, ever, ever. And if you're not a Bass Pro Shop person like HGTV, has there ever been a time when you've seen, what's the Waco lady? The Waco lady's like, hey, here's your awesome thing you can have and you can have a Barn Dominium and all, I gotta have that. Never. You're like, I've never had that. Well, then you go to the other commandment that says you're a liar because the truth is not in you tonight. So the point is, it's like uh, this book, people are like, why does God give us laws? Real quickly, it's about, we say it's like a map and a mirror. It is like a map. I mean, God created you so he knows how we design. We're designed and how we flourish. So some of these commands are good regardless of if you're a Christ follower or not. I mean, if when he says, do not commit adultery, what he's saying is, listen, it's going to work out better for you if you don't go like cheat on your spouse. It's going to work out better for you, okay? Doesn't matter where you are spiritually. It's going to work out better if you don't cheat on your spouse. That's good for everybody. But what he's also saying is it's a mirror. It's a mirror in the sense of this, when, we, when you look at a mirror, you're going to look at it sometime and go, oh me, there's some... There's some work that needs to be done. And when you look at these commandments, it's supposed to be a mirror or a teacher, the New Testament says, to go, uh-oh, uh-oh, I've missed all these. And some of you are like, well, I don't really believe that anyway. Now, you know, you know deep down, even if you take out God's laws, you can't even keep your own laws. I mean, think about this. No, I don't mean this in a harsh way, but nobody has lied to you more than you. You've lied to you more than anybody else. I mean, think about it. How many times have you said, I will never yell at the kids again? And you do it, sinner, okay? How many times have you said, I'll never drink that again? And you do it, sinner. How many times have you said, I'll never watch that again? And you do it, sinner. If you don't think that, just fast forward like a week from now and some of you are gonna go, you know what? By, you know, I am going to get this gym equipment and I am gonna lose 10 pounds, and I am gonna eat better, and you're gonna make it to like January the 6th. I mean, that's as far as you're gonna make it. Point is, point is, you and I break God's laws, we break our own laws, and when you think about it, the fact that we break God's laws are bigger than even if we break our own laws. Because in some ways, who you sin against matters. And if you and I have actually broken the, the laws of a holy God, that's like, you, that's big. I mean, think about it this way. If you go and kick the president, so secret service, gonna, they're going to take you down. If you go home tonight and you're like, I hate that preacher, and you kick your spouse, somebody's probably going to jail, all right? If you go home and you kick your dog, you're a bad, bad, bad person. 
And if you go home and kick your cat, that's not even a sin. You don't have to worry about that. My point is this, who you sin against, who you sin against matters. And what this is saying is we need a savior, a rescuer. We need a hero to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And what this is, is this is a recognition that they need a savior. And here's the scandal. The scandal of the gospel is not that Jesus also loves bad people. That's not the scandal. The scandal is not that Jesus also loves bad people. It's that he only loves bad people because that's the only kind of people that there are. I mean, think about it this way. Everybody is on the naughty list except Jesus. He's on the nice list. The gospel is, the gospel is that Jesus, okay, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or a Santa translation would be this. It's like, okay, we're all on the naughty list except Jesus and he's on the nice list. And when Jesus dies on the cross and you receive him as your savior, he takes your naughty and he takes it on him on the cross and then he takes his nice, his perfection, and he gives it to you. That's what, you're like, how'd you take Santa in the gospel? I'm telling saying that's, that's the gospel right there. And when these people look at that, they're like, I need that. Because bottom, here's, here it is. Two, two ways that your sin's going to get taken care of. Either you're going to take care of it or Jesus is going to take care of it. Christmas Eve, but when you light that little candle and you're like, this little light of mine, all that stuff, you can, either you're going to take care of your sin, which is called self-atonement. Atonement means payment. Or substitutionary atonement means somebody's going to come alongside you and take the payment that you owed God that you couldn't pay anyway. And that's what, that's what the whole gospel is about. So when he says this, if you look at that, if you look at that last one, here's, here's, don't miss where it says savior, but who is the savior? He is Christ. He's Christ the Lord. So last point at this time of year, you'll see television programs and so forth. And you'll see people say, man, Jesus was a great moral teacher and he was a great religious example. Loved ones, what I just, ha- you got to understand this is Jesus does not give you that choice. Think about it this way. Jesus said some stuff. Now, granted, he said some great things in regards to everybody. I mean, he said some great, obviously, when he talks about take care of the poor, that's good for everybody, okay? But he also says some stuff that you're like, he better be who he says he is or he's not a great moral teacher. For example, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you don't believe in me, you don't have life. Or another place he says, I and the Father are one. Now, loved ones, he is either, as old Josh McDowell used to say, he's either a liar, he's crazy, or he's the Lord. And when he came up out of the tomb, what that verified is the empty tomb proves he was exactly who he says that he was. And so... There's a Rembrandt painting. This will just be a picture. It's not a great picture. It's as good as I could get, but it's kind of a dark painting anyway. But it's called The Adoration of the Shepherds. And the Adoration of the Shepherds are kind of what it sounds like. It's our story today. They're looking at the baby. Everybody's kind of looking there, and it's this iconic scene. But if you look closely in the background, based on where the, how the wood goes, Rembrandt put in there, and there's actually a shadow down below that shows the fact that this little baby, as cute and cuddly and swaddling clothes as he was, 
was going to grow up, live the life you were supposed to live, then die in your place on that cross. There's that cross in the background. Jesus would say it this way. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so what you got to understand today is if you have never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, and maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've heard this story a hundred times, but God's doing something in your life tonight that you're like, man, I don't know what's going on here, but for some reason this story is like becoming real to me. Maybe you've never ever heard this story and you're like, are you telling me that there's a God who loves me, who knows me, and wants to pay for my sin and bring me back? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Exactly what I'm telling you. And so it's like you're gonna get some gifts. And when the people give you a gift, it would be an insult for you to sit there and go, for example, if one of your loved ones says, here's something, they give you a nice gift and you'd like to bring your wallet out and try to give them five bucks. You're like, what? It's like insulting. In the same way, in the same way, the offer of salvation is a gift. You can't pay it back if you tried. You can't earn it by being good enough. All you've got to do is receive it, surrender and say, you know what, it's like, it's like a coach, when the coach led me to Christ years ago, he basically did the ABCs. The, the A means admit. I want to admit, I'm not a mistaker in need of a life coach. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've broken God's laws. I've broken God's heart. I've rebelled. B is believe. I believe that when Jesus died on that cross, that counted for me. Because here's what happens. When Jesus is on a cross 33 years after this scene, he says seven different things. The first thing he said is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But the last thing he said is, it is finished. What's finished? The payment for your sin is finished. They used to write that word to Telestai on a tax bill saying, that's paid in full. And so no matter how good you are, the gospel is for you. No matter how bad you are, the gospel is for you. But it's got to be, I got I to admit, I got to admit I'm a... I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross counted for me. And then I want to confess. I want to confess that Jesus, I am inviting you to be my boss, my Lord, my master, my savior this evening.